0: Welcome to the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill, and we have an exciting show for you today. Those of you who have been listening throughout the fall know that I've been interviewing people from around the college baseball world. We've had uh, Texas coach David Pierce on. We've had Mississippi State center fielder Jake Mangum on. We've had Arizona coach Jay Johnson on. We've had some, some pretty good guests, is, is I guess what I'm getting at here. Uh, and today, however, we are abandoning that format uh, for a different kind of show, and today we're introducing our college coverage team for the 2019 season, and that again includes me, um, which I know you're all very excited about, uh, but this isn't about me today. We're It's about introducing my new teammates. So with that in mind, I'd like to welcome Dave Serrano and Joe Healy into the show. Welcome, Dave.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Teddy.
0: And welcome, Joe.
2: Hey, thanks, Teddy. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to have this group together uh, for this season. And I don't think Dave really needs an introduction, but we'll give him a brief one anyway. Uh, he's been the head coach at UC Irvine, at Cal State Fullerton, uh, and at Tennessee. He was the 2007 Coach of the Year, the 2004 Assistant Coach of the Year, and he took both Fullerton and Irvine to Omaha. Joe comes to us uh, from College Baseball Central, where he's been writing and podcasting about college baseball uh, for the last several years. So it's an exciting team. I'm excited. I, I think I've said excited a few times already. Uh, but we at Baseball America are very excited about this group and um, you know what we're going to be able to do uh, this spring a- as we really get into the season, which is fast approaching uh, on February 15. Um, so while we're getting to know each other, I wanted to ask uh, both of you guys, how you first got interested in college baseball, Dave? I know it's probably a little different for you. You played. You played at Fullerton. Um, you probably grew up thinking about playing college baseball. Joe and I did not. Uh, but when you finished your playing career, what drew you back to to the college game?
1: Well, I, I, it was part. It was being part of, of 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 a team, and uh, you know, my my college career. It's the highlight is I played at Cal State Fullerton, but the truth of it is, and I love telling this story, is that I was a walk-on at a junior college at Cerritos Junior College for a head coach in Gordy Douglas and an assistant in George Horton. And I tell people all the time, and all joking aside, the only way they knew my name is because I was the name they wrote down for the guy that was throwing batting practice every day. And it took me two years to play there. I didn't play until my third, my redshirt sophomore year at a junior college. And I'm proud of that because I persevered. And, uh, in today's day and age, you know, a lot of kids transfer out. I stayed the course and it, it led me to back into coaching, which I started my coaching career through junior college for George Horton. It led me to Cal state Fullerton as an assistant to the university of Tennessee as an assistant and so on as head coaches. So, um, I really believe uh, when I got out of high school and then started playing college, uh, I wanted to stay in the game. I knew I wasn't a professional player. I never – I had aspirations of being a professional player, but I was also very realistic in my abilities. And um, so I learned the game. I learned the game from some great coaches, and I wanted to give back and and teach the game and and stay competitive. And I I have a very strong competitive nature, and that's what led me back to to being a mentor to kids like many coaches were over my career.
0: That is uh... (laughs) – That that kind of perseverance, like you said, you it's, that's tough to to sit on a, a junior college bench for a couple of years, but that's uh that that's that's awesome, Joe. Um, you like me, did, you didn't play college baseball? So what got you into to the game?
2: I think it has a lot to do with time and place. Uh, I think I've told this story to you know, various ways before, but. You know, I grew up in Houston and my, my formative years of being a, a sports fan, if you will, and then a part of that was college baseball was kind of the late nineties and, and early aughts, and that was kind of boom times for college baseball in, in that area. This was, of course, the height of, of Rice under Wayne Graham. It was the height of the University of Houston at the time. That that rivalry was as hot as it's ever been at that time. The two thousand three Super Regional was, was Rice in Houston. And that's one of my first uh memories of watching college baseball. Um that involved teams locally. And I saw it on TV. I wasn't there in in person, but it was just kind of cool to see two teams that I grew up, you know, in their backyard um, competing at that high of a level in college baseball. I thought that was really, really cool, but it was beyond that. It was also the height of Texas under Augie Garrido and the height of Baylor under Steve Smith. And, um, you know, Texas A&M was always a player and they were a couple of years from, from hiring Rob Childress and kind of getting, getting going again, but it was just a really neat time um, in that part of the world, uh, to be following college baseball. And I'd always been a fan of of major league baseball, obviously, but, um, there was these cool little quirks in college baseball that made me fall in love with it. Things like, you know, the midweek games that don't really look like the weekend games. And the fact that your series were all on the weekends and instead of five starters, you needed three starters. And of course, you know, as a kid, the offense appealed to me. Uh, you know, as a as someone who's 14, 15 years old, uh, that kind of style of baseball tends to appeal to you uh, more so than a pitcher's duel. You do, typically don't uh, start to appreciate those until you're a little bit older and understand some of the nuance there. But um, so it's just a lot of time and place. I went off the, to college and I my, did my undergrad study at Sam Houston State, and that was a great time to be there. Mark Johnson had just taken over that program. Of course, he was legendary head coach at A&M before that. And he turned that program around and they got to three regionals in the four years I was on campus. And so it was kind of cool to be right there and see that happen firsthand. So um, had I grown up, uh, you know, in the upper Midwest, for example, I don't I don't know that I would be the college baseball fan and now the member of the college baseball media like I am now. So it's, um, I'd like to think I would have always gotten interested in it, but I just don't know that I would have kind of um, approached it in the way I have and, and looked to make it a career in the way I have had I not, been where I was in Houston, Texas in the, like I said, the late nineties, early aughts. Yeah. I mean, the, as a, a kid of the Midwest, um,
0: I, I know I did not, um, you know, when I, when I was the age you're talking about that, I, I wasn't necessarily following college baseball all that closely, you know, when you grow up in Cleveland, uh, it's, it, it's not like growing up in Houston where where there is all that great college baseball, but, uh, you know, it's it's interesting how everyone comes to the game because it is a little different. Like you said, Joe, it, you know, it's um, it's not like the big leagues. And frankly, that's part of the appeal is that it is a little different. I think that's true of college sports across the board. Uh, that's certainly how I view college football versus the NFL, that it's not the NFL, that, um, you know, it's not this, this uh, hugely commercial venture. Obviously, it's very successful that way. But, uh, you know, it's all you know, it's just much more unique in in its own way. And college baseball is is that way as well. Um, So this time of year uh, is the time that people generally look back at the year that was and and look ahead to the next year. So I kind of wanted to do that a little bit with with college baseball. 2018, uh, I guess, is where we'll start. We'll talk about our favorite memories from 2018. And uh, it was college baseball was – there was a lot going on in 2018. I mean, you start with the with the way it ended, with Kevin Abel's outstanding performance in Game Three of the the World Series Finals to to win the national title for Oregon State. Mike Martin set the all time wins record. Uh, Cody Clemens heroics for Texas, leading them back to to Omaha uh, for the first time under David Pierce. Tennessee Tech won 28 games in a row. That was a remarkable winning streak and. Uh, on a much more somber note, um, of course, the, the passing of Augie Garrido, one of the, the absolute legends of this sport, um, was uh, happened in the spring. And we had some big retirements, Wayne Graham, Mike Gillespie, Jim Morris, most surprisingly, Pat Casey. Uh, they all stepped away from the game. We had Casey Mize and Brady Sainer going at it. Uh, those incredible super regionals, um, You know, the Vanderbilt-Mississippi State Marathon. Uh, Washington and Fullerton played that wild game three and uh, of course in down in Gainesville Austin Laneworthy's walk off homer to send Florida back to back to Omaha in a, a very strange fashion the ball bouncing off of uh, the right fielder's glove to go over the wall um, so Joe as we look back on 2018 what what's the moment that stands out
2: for you. First of all, it's hard to imagine that all that stuff happened just last year as you were kind of rattling all that stuff off. That's kind of incredible that we we packed that all into one year. Um, So I have a few and I'll go rapid fire on here. But first, personally, it was my first trip to Omaha, Um, you know, whether as a spectator or as a member of the media. um, And it was everything that, um, you know, obviously, I've I've spent a lot of time watching it on TV through the years, but it's a different experience to be there. And it's everything that everyone says it is' it's it's a it's a um, you know kind of a trade show atmosphere in some way it's like a family reunion in some way um, and it's just a really cool event that the locals get behind you kind of you feel that local impact there um, you see how how pervasive the CWS is just in Omaha as a city um so that was a really cool experience for me um, on the field uh, and this and this was an, an Omaha team I, I think Mississippi state season just in general stands out to me I'm not sure I've had a changing opinion. Uh, on a team more throughout the course of a single year than I did with them I mean you, you start with kind of the drama of you know losing their head coach after the first weekend weekend—a weekend in which they were swept by the way and you you that that's kind of just a strange start to a season for a team but um, you know, you still thought okay this is a team that's got a ton of talent and I you know assuming that uh, you know Gary Henderson a very capable head coach is able to kind of steady the ship they should be fine but then they struggled to start SEC play and there were kind of some doubts there and they got hot later in the year and you thought okay maybe they're putting it together but they kind of every time they would take a step forward they take a step back and it really took until they swept Florida over the last weekend of the season before you felt comfortable um, saying this was going to be a regional team and and then they get into a regional of course and they're down to their last strike Um, you know and you you have to wonder if, if FSU decides to go to someone other than Drew Parrish in that last inning if maybe their run to Omaha doesn't happen but we see what happened now, and Mississippi State comes back, ends up winning that regional, then winning a, just a fantastic super regional against Vanderbilt, and then getting to Omaha. And they were, they were a lot of fun to watch in Omaha, too, because you could tell they kind of had this house money approach to it, even though they um, were a, a talented team that very well could have won the whole thing if things had broken right. But um, they were just a heck of a lot of fun, and, and like I said, I don't, I don't know that I've ever had a, seen, seen a season that had as many twists and turns as, as theirs did. Um, the other thing I'll say quickly is you mentioned Tennessee Tech and this I wasn't going to mention this but this jogged my memory I saw them early in the year last year um, and I live up here in in roughly OVC country I suppose and so I saw them early in the year just kind of on a whim I I went out and saw them because they were predicted to be to be quite good I don't know that anyone predicted this good and it was like a you know low 40s day with just a driving wind it was miserable out there and and they were still uh, hitting the ball all over the yard and ran out three or four different guys who were throwing low 90s their on their fastballs. and it, I just had a moment where I realized, yeah, this team is likely going to dominate the OVC. Uh, you know this is a whole different thing at this level, you know for the OVC, and uh, I, I'm not sure there's a team in the league that can slow them down, and it turns out that there wasn't. Um, so that was just kind of one of those cool moments where you, you see something kind of progressing. Before your eyes, and then to have that come to fruition like you like you thought it might is kind of always a neat thing. It feels very college baseball hipster to be able to say that I saw them before they went on their uh, their crazy run. So that's those are a few things there. I mean, we could probably do several hours of podcasting on on just that topic alone. But that's where that's where
1: my mind goes.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Dave. W- what about you? W- what's your memories from from this twenty eighteen season that was?
1: Well, as you recap, Teddy, you you went over some as Joe said, some remarkable uh, moments from the 2018 season. For me, the one that sticks out probably the most um, is Tennessee Tech's run. Uh, Joe alluded to it. Uh, You know, we played them in a midweek game last year when I was at West Virginia, and they were were a really good team. But the thing that I thought was so remarkable about their run is the fact where they came from, the OVC, no team had ever gone to Omaha. They have to go into Oxford, Mississippi – which is a tough place to play in a very good regional. They come through that. Then they go to Texas. They win the first game, and they battle Texas to the very end. And, yes, they didn't make it to Omaha. But the thing that was remarkable, because when you look at T- Tennessee Tech, they're known for their offense, and rightly so. They put up gigantic numbers throughout the years. But what in the end, what it came down to was their pitching and defense. in defense. In those regionals and super regionals, they were staying in those games because of their pitching and defense. And it was a, it was a kind of roster, a throwback roster, where the right fielder was coming to pitch, then you go to third base. And it was really, really fun to watch what Coach Bragg had put together there in a, in a tough place to play and a tough place to advance against some of the big boys in the country. And just what makes baseball so beautiful is that it doesn't matter how big your stadium is, it is, doesn't matter how much you can recruit, when it comes down to who has the best nine guys on the field that day. And then the other story for me, probably near and dear because I played for him was, um, the fact of the passing of coach Garrido and his legacy and what he's done for college baseball, Cal state Fullerton and university of Texas. And the thing that's so ironic is when he passed both Fullerton and Texas were kind of scuffling at the time. And after he had moved on, Both of them got a little hot, and obviously Texas gets to Omaha, Fullerton loses in a dramatic fashion to Washington, or they're in Omaha, both teams representing Coach Garrido if if they would have made it. So those are the two stories among many stories that stand out for me for a a great 2018 season with hopefully 2019 being even better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I, I was fortunate enough to be able to to see a lot of the things that I mentioned, um, and I hadn't even really thought about the Mississippi State stuff, Joe, until you brought that back. And um, they fit, like, five years into, like, five months. It was unbelievable. Right. I saw them probably, at, like, four different stages of the season. Saw them in Houston and, like, week three at the, at the Houston College Classic. Um, I saw them at the SEC tournament. I saw them – that game against Florida State, when they hit the walk-off, I had no intention to be in Tallahassee for the loser's bracket game that day, but the way the day played out the day before, on opening day of the regional, I was in Gainesville, and I said, well, I got to get to Tallahassee, because either Mississippi State's run is ending, and you know they're about to start this coaching search in earnest, or Florida State just got upset in its home regional, and that turned out to be the way it happened. and uh, but, I mean, that game itself was ridiculous. It had a huge rain delay in the middle because Florida. And, you know, it, it just had been kind of like been kind of sleepy right up until Elijah McNamee hits that walk-off home run because Mississippi State was nominally the home team. And uh, it that was just a remarkable scene to see. And then, you know, seeing them in Omaha with the power of the rally banana and everything that they threw behind that making their run there was Uh, was phenomenal in itself. And, um, you know, I, I also was really struck by Cody Clemens' ability to just take over a series. I think that's something I'll take with me. I saw that in the super regional, uh, but just seeing it, watching it play out online before then, uh, you know, how he, um, you know, played up against Oklahoma and then that final weekend against TCU to win them the big 12 title. I thought that was pretty phenomenal, um, seeing Casey Mize and Brady Sinner go at it, that's never going to get old. I saw that happen again, and uh we got a, a the bonus of a rocket home run off the bat of Jonathan india uh in in that game in May, and uh, there was just so much talent on the field that day, which is always a lot of fun to see, but you know, I'd also like to mention again, I know I've talked about this on the podcast at various times, uh just how cool it was though to see Army play Navy in a double header at Camden Yards. Uh, I love everything about that rivalry. I grew up watching the football game every year, and then to be able to see the baseball version of that take a bigger stage this year was really, really awesome. Um, you know, and, and it's one thing to to watch the raw talent of a, of a Cody Clemens or a Singer or a Mize, Jonathan India, but you know what they have on the field there with Army Navy is different, and. It's special in its own way, and, and you know those players are going to go on once their careers end to do something that's really really important, and you know just to see them have that opportunity at Camden Yards uh, was was definitely a, a special moment uh, that that I was really glad to be able to witness, and you know I, I hope they're able to continue to do uh, cool stuff like that for for the service academies uh, because it is special, uh, and, and those rivalries are. They're so important to those kids. Uh, so it's awesome to see that get elevated. Um, so as we now leave 2018 behind, uh, let's look at 2019, which, Dave, like you said, hopefully it'll be even better. I don't know. 2018 was so jam-packed, like we've said. I don't know if 19 is going to be able to top it, but we've got some new coaches and some high-profile jobs after all those retirements. Mike Martin is in his final season. He's announced he'll retire after 2019. Uh, we've got some banner fresh uh, a banner freshman class coming in. Uh, we saw a lot of high profile players pass on signing out of the draft to play college baseball. Um, so what's the storyline that you're most interested in seeing how it plays out this spring, Dave?
1: well i I have a few in mind to be honest with you, Teddy. I think first and foremost, I'll start at the top and and coach Martin, you know he after it when he's announced his retirement, I'm anxious to see how Florida is Florida State responds to that, how his team does. A legendary coach uh, in all manners uh, on and off the field. And um, the only thing he's, that's evaded, evaded him is a, is a national championship. And um, my hope is, because of what he's done for college baseball and what he's done for that university, that they make a deep run. But I'm anxious to see how that plays out. You know, they lost Coach Bell to go be a head coach at the University of Pittsburgh, so he's got a little bit of a new staff in his last year, um, but that that's something I'm going to be watching. Now, the other thing too for me, we talked earlier about Oregon State. I think I, I believe Arkansas is returning to a pretty good club, but I'm gonna, I'm curious to see how they rebound from last year and the tough scenario they were put in. They're playing for the national championship. Uh, they're out away the from the national championship, and it, it eludes them and Oregon State ends up getting the crown. I'm anxious to see how that program, which Coach Van Horn has done a fabulous job in a terrific, one of the best facilities in the country, I'm anxious to see how they, they come back from that. They have a, a good re- team returning, but that's a tough thing to overcome when you're so close to a national championship, and it gets pulled from you, but I'll, um, I'm anxious to see how they rebound. I'm, uh, I think uh, I really believe Coach Savage at UCLA has a team that uh, will put themselves back in the upper echelon of the country. I know they, they have, I don't want to say dormant's been the word because they are always uh, very, very competitive. But since they've won the national championship, they haven't been knocking on the door as much. I believe he has a team that uh, has a chance to do that. I would be shocked if they're not back in Omaha this year and not playing for close to the national championship, if not the national championship. And that's something that I'll, I'll follow. I have a lot of respect for Coach Savage, and I know they've got a good team out there. And lastly, you know, you brought up the freshmen around the country and the, 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 a lot of kids that, that passed up on money. I think college baseball got better from that. I think it's going to become stronger around the country because of the talent that we've been able to to keep in college baseball, which I think is fabulous for the game and the growth of the game and at the pace it's going. And well, lastly, really and b- some people bias to this, um, bias to this, but... I truly believe that uh, after a 14-year hiatus from the regionals, I believe that you're going to finally see the University of Tennessee, the Vols, back in the middle echelon of a very good SEC, and I think you're going to see them back in in the regionals after being out for 14 years. I really think Coach Vitell has done a good job of backing up two recruiting classes with a freshman group that came in three years ago that I believe was the foundation of what's going on there now, and I really believe that they'll be back in the middle of the pack, um, at least, and back in regional play, and I know that's going on a whim, but I, I truly believe they're a dark horse around the country this year um, as the Tennessee Bulls. I
0: like it. I like it, and I, I also liked how you put the the way that it's college baseball has retained talent. It's not just the freshmen. Uh, there were a lot of there were some high-profile draft-eligible players, either sophomores or juniors, that came back. Uh, you know, especially in the SEC, guys like Jake Mangum, Antoine Duplantis, Zach Hess. Uh, um, to, to turn for another year and you know that only helps you know obviously it helps those programs, but it only helps the game when you have uh, you know high profile talents like that choosing uh, to put off the start of their professional career for one reason or another. I mean at the end of the day they're back and uh, that's exciting for us all. Uh, Joe, what do you got uh, for, for 2019?
2: I'm really excited to see Vanderbilt in particular. That's, that's a team that stands out to me. Uh, the top of the SEC is going to be incredibly competitive. LSU, as, as you kind of alluded to with the guys they have back, Teddy is, is going to be quite good as well. But Vanderbilt was one of the more fun teams to watch last year that I saw in person, and, and they, they bring back just a lot of, of that talent. A lot of the reasons they were exciting last year kind of apply to this year as well. At the, uh, the freshman class they had last year with guys like Pat DiMarco and Philip Clark and Austin Martin – um, are some of the best freshmen that I saw on the field last year, some of the most exciting freshmen, and, and those guys are back. And then you add, uh, to, to piggyback onto the what Dave said, I mean, they've got a guy in Kumar Rocker who's uh, perhaps the most exciting freshman arm in, in college baseball and sounds like he's going to have a pretty important role on their team from the very beginning. And then you mix in some of these veterans, some of these names that feel like they've been at Vanderbilt forever, J.J. Bladey and Julian Infante, Patrick Raby, Ethan Paul. It really just kind of seems like a team that's got that perfect balance of Young, exciting talent, uh, you know, veterans who have been productive over a long period of time and reloading with some guys who can kind of help bolster some areas on the roster. And the last couple of years have been marked by uh, very good but not great Vanderbilt teams, and it feels like the 2019 team might be a team that kind of returns Vanderbilt to being a great team uh, nationally speaking. So that's a team I'm excited to see in person this year for sure. Now, one of the other storylines that's a little more into the radar is is Conference USA, um, for me and, and they they were a league that's been hurt by conference realignment in all sports really but in, in baseball in particular they lost a lot of their uh, steadiest members in baseball to the American Athletic Conference and it's taken them a little bit of time to kind of uh, find their footing again I guess but that that's kind of happening uh, you know USm uh, Southern miss uh, and and Florida Atlantic are a couple of programs at this point who we just kind of have to assume are going to be regional caliber teams that um, you Throw into the mix a team like Louisiana Tech that uh, has been really good over the last few years and is, is building there. Laneboro is doing a good job with them. Florida International with Merville Melendez has, has really been stockpiling talent. Uh, great class on top of great class. You have to imagine that's going to pay dividends sooner rather than later. And then Rice is a wild card. You mentioned new coaches, obviously. That's one of them. Matt Braga there. And there's a lot of talent on that roster. They didn't have a great year last year, but I think there's more talent there than that record would suggest. Uh, Matt Cantorino, most notably... Uh, you know, uh, among them. Uh, he's going to be anchoring that rotation for him, And I think that's a team that uh, very easily could be right back in the postseason mix in 2019. So it, I don't know that I would say Conference USA is going to end up being better than the American because the American has established itself so well as just a slight cut below those power conferences. But I do think it's a, a season in which Conference USA bounces back a little bit and is a little more competitive Throughout the conference, instead of the what their water being carried by just one or two programs, as seems to have been the case uh, more recently.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you guys covered some great ground there. Obviously, Mike Martin is a huge storyline, like you said, Dave. And um, I, there's just so many different things we can look at. Again, this is a thing that we could talk about for hours. Uh, but I would just want to highlight real quickly. Um, Arizona State is massively interesting to me. Uh, having missed the tournament the last two years, seeing what they've been building. Uh, they've got more a little last year they were super young this year a little more sophomores. Uh, you know obviously Spencer Torkelson set the country on fire last year hitting 20 whatever home runs. Um, and, and so I'm excited or interested to see uh, what what happens there uh, with, with Arizona State. Uh, And I also want to see what Andrew Vaughn has for an encore. He won Golden Spikes last year. He hit like 420 with 24 home runs. Phenomenal year. Wasn't enough to get Cal into the postseason, though. Uh, And now he's in his junior year, his draft year. And uh, there are a lot of eyes that are going to be on Andrew Vaughn as scouts try and evaluate uh, this right-right first baseman um, with these incredible hitting tools. So I want to see... What he's able to do and, and what Cal and, and Arizona State, these two programs that uh you know, hadn't made the tournament the last couple of years, see what they're able to do going forward. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, there are so many, so many storylines around the country. I you know, I want to see uh what what Minnesota has after that phenomenal year last year. Uh, you know, I wanna see what the Gino Damari era starts like at Miami. Um what, the, what Mississippi State, who, like we mentioned, fit like five years into five months last year, well, now they have a new head coach in Chris Limonis and another really exciting team. What's that like uh, going forward now? So there's going to be plenty to, to keep us uh, interested and, and, and locked into all sorts of uh, different areas of the country and uh, you know so many great players and, and great teams that will emerge uh, over the, the next several months to come. Uh, and like you I know, said Teddy, we're gonna talk about all that to come. But Dave, what what do you got?
1: You know, the, the thing that here in Utah, here in Joe talk, the thing that's for me that's so exciting, you know, I've always been on the field, I've always been a fan, I've I knew I've known all the storylines within our team. I've always been the fan of our team. But what's so exciting for me now is that I'm gonna be aware of many storylines around the country and I could be fans of many teams around the country and that's what's exciting about me, about being on with with you guys at Baseball America and covering this great game of college baseball and the wonderful people that are involved in it, from the coaches down to the players, and and I'm just very thankful for you guys giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts with you guys of the great game of college baseball.
0: Absolutely, it's a little different when you have to view the whole. You know, you you can be so locked in, laser focused when it's just your team, but when you can see the whole picture, it. It's exciting, and um, you know, it, we'll, we're excited to have you uh, be able to share your, your analysis and, and your insights about uh, you know, what you see, um, you know, given all your experience in the dugout um, this season. Uh, before we get out of here, on Joe's old podcast, he liked to ask his guests for, uh, for local food recommendations, and I wanted to put a slightly different spin on that. Let's say we're at a game. And you need to go to the concession stand for some food. What is your go to concession stand item, Joe? Well,
2: it's, it's fun to be on the other end of this question. I, uh, <laughs> I'm excited about that opportunity. Um, so, my go to, and, and this is not available, this is not ubiquitous among concession stands, but I, I feel like, as a quick side note, I feel like as college baseball grows and then the facilities grow, I feel like the concession game has been stepped up quite a bit just over the last several years. I feel like I see a lot more variety out and about. So with that said, if if a concession stand has like a barbecue nachos situation going on, like that typically tends to be my go-to because it's, you get pretty good volume with that for your money, I feel like. And also, you know, with the barbecue going on or whatever the meat topping is, you get a little bit of protein to go with just the, the chips and the cheese and what have you. So I feel like that's a good volume, good you know, good variety, has a little bit of nutritional value there. I know that's not really what you're looking for when you go to the concession stand, but it's always nice when you get a little bit something extra there. So that's kind of, that's my go-to when that's available. There's a variation of this I've seen at some places. Uh, the first one I ever actually had of these, maybe I'm just ignorant and this has always been a thing, but uh, at Illinois, and I've been told at several other concession stands uh, in the area, they have what they call a walking taco, which is where they take like a bag of Fritos and cut off kind of the top of it, and then they just take the bag of Fritos and put like a, you know, the, the meat and the cheese. It's kind of like a Frito pie, I guess, but it's it's in the bag, and so you get a fork and you just kind of uh, eat it straight out of the bag. I never actually had one of those until I was at a, covering a game at Illinois a couple of years ago, and, and they had those. That's kind of a variation of the same idea, if you will. So that's kind of where I gravitate. I mean, you can't go wrong with a good ballpark dog as long as they're they're made well. Um, you know, Rice used to have, probably still does, I just haven't been there in a couple of years, but they do cookouts um, at their stadium every week. They have like a local organization representing a high school band or a high school choir or some athletic booster club and the parents of of students in those groups will do a cookout and they'll do barbecues and bratwurst and, uh, I'm sorry, burgers and bratwurst and things like that. Um, And those are always always nice too because in addition to getting something good, you were able to kind of support those types of organizations. So Um, long story short, barbecue nachos, uh, that's, that's my lane. And that's, if they have that kind of thing available, that's where I'm headed.
0: The, uh, the walk-in taco, I definitely encountered as a kid in the Midwest. Maybe that's a Midwestern thing.
2: Yeah. I will also say
0: that I will also say though, that there's a bar in Durham that will serve that. So there's your local food and your, uh, concession (laughs) stand
1: all wrapped up into one.
0: Uh, Dave, what, what about you when you go to the concession stand, what are you looking for?
1: Well, all the things Joe said sounded delicious, and I, I visualized them as he was talking. But you got to remember, I was on a different side of the fence than being in the media. And I was a coach when I was at the going to games and all that. So I didn't want to be that guy that was walking around with nachos in my hand and cheese sauce coming down my chin or a hot dog in my hand and shake a parent's hand and have ketchup on my hand. So I always kind of just made all that stuff is delicious, and I had to bypass it all the time. But when I used to go to the concession stand, I would just probably get a bag of of shelled peanuts or sunflower seeds because, again, trying to relate with people and talk to people there all the time at the events I was at, I didn't want to be that coach that was mowing on a chili dog when a parent came up to introduce himself to me. So mine's a little more boring, but it was more realistic for what I had to do at the time.
0: That is also definitely a healthier choice. You've got that
1: going for you. Well, I don't want to say it was healthier, but it was just more <laughs> professional, I guess, for the role I was in at the time. But now that I'm on the other side, you might see those, those barbecue pork uh, nachos in my hands.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard to go wrong with nachos. Um, I would say that if I'm somewhere where there's a, a specialty within reason that I, I do like to try those, uh, but not always. Yarmouth Dennis up on the Cape has a donut burger. And I'm not on that. Like, I'm not. I'm not gonna. That that is too far out. I'm. I'm not gonna try that. Um, but like in Omaha last year, they had uh, a secret menu item every day and it changed. And I definitely tried some of those. Um, those were interesting. And Omaha also, um, they have a, you know, a barbecue one of the, I guess, the local barbecue restaurants comes in and, and they serve those out past right field. So I like that. Uh, but if we're just, like, talking more standard, I, I think that nachos is the the bane for your buck. But you can't have them too much because uh, the
2: uh, the nutritional
0: value on that is is probably pretty low. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I, I will say, to, to jump in real quick, I, I want to see if I could just throw this out there to the college baseball world listening. I'd like to see more partnerships and stadiums with some of those local restaurants and, and local places to come in and, and do food at the stadiums instead of just doing kind of the trad- traditional concession style things. Um, just because it's, it's kind of cool if, if, if you're uh, just kind of helicoptering into a series and you're only there, I don't know, 48 hours or what have you, you may not have time necessarily, especially if it's a tournament you may not have time to kind of get to some of these local establishments you might have wanted to get to. So it is kind of nice when they bring, selfishly, it's just nice when they bring that to you. I think it's also uh, a way for, um, you know, a way to kind of enhance the experience for the fans that are there is to be able to get, feel like they got some good value and, you know, be able to combine lunch or dinner with the ball game more so than just picking up a couple, as tasty as they are, picking up a couple hot dogs from a concession stand. Yes, I you, please open the Torchy's.
1: I agree with you completely on that, Joe. I think part of the reason, sometimes the problem with that is because of the food concessions on campus, it becomes a contractual deal, but I always try to do Taco Tuesdays and bring in a Mexican restaurant for Taco Tuesdays to get the students out there for dollar uh, dollar tacos and all that, but that was always a, a hurdle to get over, but I think that's a great concept. I think it would just enhance the food services at at, at our stadiums.
0: Yeah, let's get Taco Tuesdays for midweek games, like... What? Who is who is against Taco Tuesdays at midweek games?
2: Nobody. That we have already exactly.
0: produced the best idea. We'll produce all season. I feel like so. Uh, <laughs> we'll get out of here on that high note. Um, so we'll we'll be coming back to you o- over our the podcast uh, soon. Probably the first week of January, I would guess. Uh, but the season's just a few weeks away. Uh, several weeks away. Somewhere in there, six weeks away, I think. And so there's going to be plenty of college preview content uh, coming at you both on the podcast and online over at BaseballAmerica.com. Um, there is already some fun college baseball stuff over there, I feel like. Um, at least I enjoyed writing them. Uh, there's a, a story uh, where I identified the best baseball player on all the college football playoff teams. You've heard of Kyler Murray, uh, but who are the other Great baseball players playing in the the football playoff, and also as a bonus, the best football player on those schools' baseball teams. Uh, and on a totally different note, uh, I also wrote a story about minority coaches in college baseball and why there aren't many, and how diversity within the coaching ranks can be improved, and, and the ways that that um, you know some of these coaches and the ABCA are, are kind of working to to kind of um, Try and, and, and bring more minority coaches into the game. Uh, and I found that to be very, very interesting to research this fall and, and then to write. So uh, check those out over at baseballamerica.com. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you can, rate us, leave us a review. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. And Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. Um, Like I said, we'll probably not be back necessarily next week, depending on when you're listening to this because of the holidays. Uh, But we will be back in January uh, for plenty more podcasts and in the months to come. So thanks again to Dave and to Joe. Thank you for listening. And we will talk with you again soon.